Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer Radio Show brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds, where we give away more chicken coops and chicken-related prizes than anyone else on the planet. We are often imitated, but never duplicated. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, national spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds program, and editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to join us on Facebook and go to our website, www.chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine. I want to thank you all for tuning in today. We've got a great show lined up for you. It is Open Mic, we call it here, with Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor. Uh, yesterday, the day before, we uh, uh, put out some feelers on our Facebook page and uh, on Twitter about posting your chicken health questions. And Peter's going to be joining us here in a few minutes to answer some of those. And because we had such a great number of questions posted, uh, Peter's agreed to come back and join us tomorrow for a broadcast as well. So it's going to be a great show today. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more Brown right after this short break. When you need an incubator, think Brency, the incubation specialist. Brency has been a world-leading manufacturer of incubators for over 30 years. Incubators from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity control and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Visit them online at Brency.com. Brency spelled B-R-I-N-S-E-A. That's Brency.com or call 1-888-667-7009. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and save 10% on their incubators, brooders, egg candlers, and other incubation accessories. When you need an incubator, think Brency, technology you can trust. 
You've just entered a dimension of dirty water, a dimension of poop-filled water, a dimension of stagnant water. You've crossed into the dirty waterer zone. But up ahead is your signpost to cleaner water, the Bright Tap Chicken Waterer. The Bright Tap Waterer is fully covered. Chickens drink from special valves, so dirt and droppings can't get into the water. Chickens get sparkling clean water. You get less work. No poop-filled water pans for you to touch or wash out. Bright Tap, clean water made simple. Visit chickenwaterer.com to learn more. That's chickenwaterer.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Are you in the market for a new chicken coop? Want one that will outlast all the others? Then check out Urban Coop Company. All of their coops are made from 100% appearance-grade western red cedar with galvanized hardware and advanced all-weather joinery right here in the USA. Compared to other coops, Urban Coop Company coops will last longer and look better doing it. They're designed to be both beautiful and functional. In fact, they have earned the Chicken Whisperer seal of approval and are Chicken Whisperer approved. I invite you to browse their website to learn more about the many features of their coops and check out their integrated coop accessories that will make your life easier. Urban Coop Company is a family-owned business located in Dripping Springs, Texas, USA. They are passionate about building great coops because they know you're passionate about your backyard chickens. Visit them online at urbancoopcompany.com. That's urbancoopcompany.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. All righty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisper, brought to you by Calm Bock Feeds. Speaking of Calm Bock Feeds, we just returned back to the homestead 
on, God, let me see what day it was, <laughs> Saturday evening, I believe it was, yeah, because we went to church yesterday, Saturday uh, evening, we arrived back after a week-long trip, about 1,500 miles, but we had a great time, it was fabulous, it was their annual feed dealers conference, there were over 200 dealers there, these are mom-and-pop feed and seed stores from all across the Midwest, um, and uh, it was an absolutely great time. Um, you never want to stop learning. I learned a whole lot about feed and food and um, uh, things like that. So, uh, but it was uh, it was really good. Met a lot of great people, a lot of great dealers that are that are really hot for backyard poultry out now. They're picking my brain. In fact, I did two uh, sessions, two outbreak sessions during the entire um, event uh, about who is your backyard customer, which also included kind of what they want, what they're looking for, uh, what they would like. Not just product, but service as well. And uh, they were they were really just really eating that up. They they really want to do what they can for their customer. That's what it's all about. And uh, it was just a great event. And um, uh, looking forward to doing business with them and going on tour. In fact, pulling out on the uh, 2015 Spring Book Tour uh, here, and um, probably the uh, I'm thinking we technically we'll pull out Good Friday, but we'll spend Easter weekend with. Jim's family, and then we'll, uh, from there, that Monday or Tuesday after Easter, we'll be heading up the list to the Midwest, probably the Ohio area, and states that border Ohio for about a six-week book tour and uh, speaking engagement workshops, and we'll be hitting some of these dealers that I met, uh, and it's a fabulous time, and I uh, learned a lot. It was one of the things that, um, um, just learning about feed, what goes into feed, there were companies there that provide all the vitamins and minerals, um, uh, amino acids. Enzymes, everything else that these the large companies put into their their feed. I got to pick their brain. Um, it was really fascinating and, uh, about all the technology that goes into uh, bag feed that, that you purchase at your uh, local store. So it was it was fascinating, and uh, I did learn one thing. And I will share this with you. Um, and it was with a uh, poultry nutritionist, a PhD as a PhD of poultry nutrition. And he, he gave me a, a quote that was fascinating. I was talking about uh, the vitamin, you know, everything, about feeds and the um, non-GMO uh, feeds that are non-GMO and, and the difference between those the proteins. Fascinating. Um, so, so glad I was able to attend. But he gave me some information that was very, very interesting. I thought it uh, <laughs> just it's kind of one of those things that's like, hmm, darned if you do, darned if you don't. And, and some of this doesn't, uh, this, this, this thing here probably won't concern a lot of people. But um, it, it was very interesting. He said that, Andy, about 70 to 80% of the organic soybeans used in organic chicken feed come from China. Interesting. I was like, really? It's like you know, you kind of like. I wonder how many people, how many people knew that if they would still be all gung ho about organic. Now we we do not deviate. We always buy organic milk in our family, but uh, when we can and we have the option, we're in the rural area when we're on the road. Sometimes it's tough too, but but it, it was just very. But my jaw dropped a little bit, thinking, I wonder how many people out there know that information that when you buy organic chicken feed, if it has uh, soybean in it uh, to to add to help add protein. 
that about 70 to 80% of all the organic soybeans used in America come are harvested and grown in China. So now this won't make a difference to a lot of people, but some people are adamant about not doing that. Um, I know that um, Petco eliminated all their treats made in China, uh, coming out of China for dogs and cats. So, But, um, hey, it's just, it's just it, it, I was like, seriously? So, so it's just one of those things that kind of, kind of make you grin a little bit thinking about, you know, you want to buy organic and a, the big movement and all natural and, and all this stuff. And, and and they I also talked to a lot of vitamin folks there, minerals and enzyme producers. And, and I asked them, uh, a lot of vitamins used in the U.S., as you know, come from China. Um, but they a lot of them said, look, there are some very good uh, manufacturers and producers of these vitamins. And there are some bad ones. Don't don't get me wrong. There are some very bad, as they say. Uh, they were telling me uh, producers of these vitamins, as far as quality coming out of China, but there are a few uh, good companies, um, highly regulated, tested the whole nine yards. They wouldn't be buying from them if they weren't. But especially a lot of your B vitamins, thiamine, uh, uh, things like that, B, B12, B6, those are almost exclusively. There may be a handful. That are, that, are, that are from here, but, but, but by far they said the B vitamins are almost uh, all coming over from uh, China. Just interesting things, and, and you, that leads to other questions, and other questions, and other questions. So, but um, uh, it was, I learned a lot about feed and manufacturing feed and, and science about it. Never stop learning, folks. So there's always something to learn, and uh, it was uh, it was fascinating to me. Maybe more, learn even more. So. And um, I was very proud. I've got both of the feed nutritionists um, uh, that have agreed to come on the show once or twice every quarter and talk about food requirements for chickens and what's in the food and why it's in the food. And I'm really looking forward to that, too. They're going to be writing for the magazine. So made a lot of good contacts there uh, as well. Well, let's get on to some of your questions. We'll go to the phone lines now. We've got Peter Brown hanging out there. So let's go ahead and bring Peter on. Peter uh, Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, founder of First State Vet Supply. Hey, Peter, how you doing today? Oh, Andy, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Doing well. Good. Thank you so much. Glad you could make it on today. We're going to run up until three o'clock. So let me get over <laughs> here to uh, where all of the questions are, because we've got a doozy. Just to touch on your, just to touch on your, your um, thoughts there that uh, about the. Uh, organic feed and stuff. Uh, I mean, it's been yeah, known for quite some time, uh, you know, that this stuff has to come from somewhere else because there isn't enough of it by by any stretch of the imagination grown here. So um, it's uh, it's an interesting thing. You're breaking up, by the way. Okay, gotcha. Thank you. I'll try to get a little bit better than that throughout the entire program, off and on, off and on. Okay. Gotcha. I don't know whether you're getting away from your mic or or what, but gotcha. No, thank you. Thank you very much for letting me know. I'll try to do what I can on my end to make that more uh, limited. So, um, you know, as far as as the as the quality of of some of these, you know, you're talking about vitamins and stuff. They're only as good as the quality control program that the company that uses them here puts in place in China. In other words, if mm-hmm. they leave it up to the company over there. Uh, you know, Katie, bar the door. You never know what you're going to get. Maybe, you know, mm-hmm. uh, depends depends on on the company there, how credible they are, uh, you know, and and that kind of thing. Whereas if you have somebody there or a very strict uh, testing policy, uh, 
you know, I would imagine uh, a friend of mine uh, was was in the chemical business. Uh, he's since gone on to other things, but uh, everything they got from any country, anywhere, because they were in the pharmaceutical business, was tested, retested, and retested again uh, for purity, potency, contaminants, the whole bit. Not you know, so any company bringing anything in from over there. Uh, is doing the same thing. There's a, a wormer that a lot of people think is new. Uh, I think it's called Strike 3 and a couple other things. Um, and that product was taken off the market years ago um, and uh, recently brought back in, in place. I think there were some environmental issues in making it here. So we can go over there and screw things up and make it over there because they don't care one way or another. Uh, they killed 9 million people. They have another 9 million to replace them, so it really doesn't matter. Um, but by and large, um, you know, that product is made in China. But it is made uh, and under the strict uh, uh, control of the, the governing company that owns the uh, NADA, which is the license through the federal government here, you know, to sell that product. And it has to meet certain criteria. So they have to have people in place. So a lot of these people that are buying vitamins and, and everything else are probably buying from the same source for year after year after year after year. And they're tested. You know, and I would be shocked to find out that they were not. Um, whereas you buy dog treats over there, that's a dog treat. You know, so what? So you buy a dog treat, and who cares if they run it through the uh, uh, the muckiest river they got over there and then bag it for your dog? Who cares? You do, but nobody over there is going to care. And if there's nobody watching the door, God only knows what they'll put in it. You know, I mean, we didn't find out for years. Remember, uh, I think it was a year and a half ago or so, they had all those pigs die, and, and they were in the, in the yeah. river, just floating down the river and everything else. And then we come to find out, well, that's a virus that started over here, but it's in the pigs over here now. Thank you very much. Nobody watching, you know. So it's just, just one of those things. I don't want to belabor the point when we get on to these questions, but I think it's, it's, it's worth putting out there. And I, it still goes back to what I've said. Uh, I'm not anti-organic. If, if it makes you happy, jump up and down like a pogo stick. That's fine. I don't care. But, you know, the source of where these things are coming from, um, the uh, people that are, are raising uh, uh, organic. I, I, I have a, a organic farm here that has a CSA that when uh, three years ago we got involved in, in getting our stuff from there, and there was no question that all of the uh, uh, produce that we got from there was excellent, uh, although I didn't like the variety, and that's why we, the basic reason why we left. But the, the underlying reason that, that I left was while they were growing their pigs and their cattle, their turkeys and their chickens organic, uh, you wouldn't want to put your dog in the facilities that they had. You know, and I, I just didn't feel comfortable continuing to support an operation like that. And uh, you know, all turkeys cramped up can't move. Uh, you talk about you know the commercial people having a problem. Geez, uh, these guys were stuffed into these little A-frame things, uh, little tiny fence around it, and uh, there was no room to really move. There was food and water but they're out in the middle of a field in hot sun and everything else with a little piece of wood over top, really not conducive to raising birds in a proper fashion, in my opinion. So you have to be careful what you, what you uh, wish for and uh, what you ask for and, and you know, know where it comes from. So let's get started there. We've got a short period of time here today. Yep, sounds good. Um, here we go. Um, oh, where'd it go? I just saw it here. <laughs> Loose <Okay>. computer. <laughs> yeah, Nicole, thank you. Yeah, Nicole wants to know, uh, she has a large fowl coaching pullet that has just been shipped and undergone severe heat stress due to improper shipping. Since she has arrived, she has been panting, um, 
uh, even with the fan on her and ice water, uh, 77 degrees in the house and in the shade. Um, I also noticed she has been stretching her neck with her beak open uh, and poking up. Um, she shakes her head with the beak open very rapidly. She's been rubbing her eyes on her wings. I heard a few sneezes. Um, uh, let's see. I've had her for almost four days with these symptoms. Uh, please help the cockerel she was shipped with died just to tell you how bad the heat was. So uh, this is the middle of winter. You would think cold, but I, I don't know what, any information of why, but maybe they were too close together. You say in heat-related. But that's the, the one she has left, large foul coach and pullet. Um, I don't have an age other than that. Um, panting, uh, even with ice water and a fan. Uh, stretching neck, beak open, uh, shaking your head, rubbing her eyes. That's what I've got, Doc. Yeah. Okay, well, um, one of the ways to try to separate this thing out, um, right away somebody somebody might jump on the fact, um, and we'll always put it out on the sideboard to look at, but we're not going to focus on it uh, in, in this particular discussion, but I'll mention it. Uh, right away, the stretching of the neck, uh, gape worms comes to mind. And um, while that is uh, one of the symptoms that we might see with, with gape worms, uh, and I would never just toss it away and say it can't be, uh, anything is always a possibility, but I don't think in this particular case, and I'll tell you why. Um, gape worms, while they are out there, are much more rare. Okay, that's the, that's the first thing. The second thing is we've got sneezing and we've got rubbing of the eyes on the wings, I believe you said. Okay. And that's kind of one of the tip-offs. That is uh, generally something we see with CRD, coryza, or upper respiratory type infection, uh, this rubbing of the eyes and the nostrils and stuff on the wings. And if it's let go long enough, you usually end up with a snotty nose, and then they, they try to clear the mucus away from the nostrils. They rub that, and they get goopy eyes. They do that on the wings, so the wings get soiled. Uh, either right or left doesn't matter. Uh, so I would treat this uh, up front as if it were a respiratory issue, um, whatever uh, uh, respiratory type uh, medication she can get her hands on, gallomycin, uh, oxytet concentrate. Uh, she can't get anything but the standard duramycin attractor supply. Uh, I would do what we call pulse dose this bird. I would take a piece of fresh uh, white bread, um, and I would take a quarter of a teaspoon of oxytet concentrate, and I would put it right in the middle of that, roll it up in a little ball uh, as small as I could get it, and I would uh, shove it right straight down to this bird's throat. Now, let me explain. People people under, don't understand um, that birds eat and drink in two different places. I won't say all people, but a lot of people have this notion that if they put anything down the bird's throat, they're going to choke them to death, and uh, that just is not going to happen if you do it properly. And one of the ways you're going to do that is you're going to have somebody hold this bird for you. You're going to take the bird. You're going to open its mouth. You're going to take its neck and stretch it straight up in the air, and then you're going to drop this right down in the back of that bird's mouth, a big giant black hole back there, and then you're going to take your finger and you're going to push it down as far as you can once. That's all you need to do, and let her go. And she'll swallow it, and that'll be the end of that. And do that twice a day. Put um, two teaspoons of the oxytetracycline in the drinking water, and you're going to do that pulse dose for the first day. And by the second day, I think you'll start to see that she'll come around a little bit. I'd be surprised if it were anything else. Always hold the gape worm thing in the background. I would not treat for gape worm at this point in time. Uh, if you want, you can try to swab the mouth. You can try to swab the trachea and see if you can pull out anything. 
uh, as far as the gape worm is concerned. And generally, you'll start to see uh, a worm that's engorged with blood. Uh, if they come out as, as they look like a little Y, that's the male and the female uh, mating. And uh, you should be able to see that if they're there. My guess with this one is probably not, um, just just from the standpoint that this has uh, uh, got many more symptoms than just gape worm. Most of the time with gape worm, uh, you'll see them gape every now and then. Uh, if it goes long enough, certainly they start rattling and everything else because they, they do settle down in the, in the bird's airway. But that that's how I would handle this, and that's the reason why I would do it that way. Okay. Okay, there was one thing here, Nicole, uh, that I didn't see, but I just saw it now, kind of a follow-up that may or may not change anything that you just uh, talked about. But, um, oh, I forgot, and she was drooling twice. The first one was seemed more just saliva. Uh, the second drool seemed to be thick, slimy, crop juice drool. So okay. to add that on. Yeah, and that, and that, and that can happen. Let me explain again. Um, when a bird drinks water... <clears throat> Uh, there is no flap valve or mechanism to keep anything in the crop. So any pressure that you put on the bird, picking her up, um, pushing on the front of the crop inadvertently. I had a gal um, back in January up at the Northeast Poultry Congress, a uh, good friend of mine, uh, and she was carrying her bird around. She just uh, had watered the bird, and she was carrying it around, going to get his picture taken, uh, and uh, immediately came over to me, and the, the bird was limp and gasping for air and everything else and that's exactly what she had done when I questioned her about what she had done I said you hold holding too tight no no I always hold it like this well she put pressure on that crop forced the water back up in the bird's mouth and almost aspirated the bird by doing so inadvertently so um, birds that uh, because they don't have any mechanism or any way to throw up uh, so if you were to take a bird that had just consumed some water and quickly flipped it upside down and held its neck straight out, every bit of water that that bird had consumed pretty much run out. Okay, So she may be seeing uh, that as well. I would still go ahead and treat the bird as I uh, suggested. Um, you always want to keep your finger or anything else clear of the glottis. So we'll go over that anatomy real quick for those that uh, may not be aware of it. So if you open the bird's mouth directly behind the tongue in the floor of the mouth, and you can watch it. Every time she breathes, the glottis will open and close, open and close. You just want to stay away from there. You put anything in there, they don't have any way of coughing it up, throwing it up. It's not going to come out, and the bird's going to aspirate on you in about two seconds. And they'll be as dead as a doornail. It's just, that's how quickly it can go. So you just stay away from that. That's why I said neck extended straight up in the air, mouth wide open, drop the piece of, uh, uh, of bread marble-sized down the back of her throat, push it real quick down with your finger, let her go. And she'll swallow that and... There'll be no big deal about it. But if you don't do things properly and you, you close that glottis off uh, with anything, your finger or anything else, yeah, sure you do run run into it. But you really can't choke them to death because they eat and drink in two different places. Totally different than, than the, uh, our system. Gotcha. Okay, Lee has a, a question here. Um, we have a good deal of head shaking in the flock, and I'm pretty sure we have mycoplasma. Uh, we swap for AI and a host of other things and should have the results Wednesday. How do I treat for mycoplasma? 
yeah, one of the best. Uh, <clears throat> I would wait till the results come back. Uh, if they choose to share those results with me or don't understand it, uh, they can email it to me at chickendr at firststatevetsupply.com, and I'd be glad, free of charge, to comment on those uh, findings. Uh, and uh, But I'll go ahead and suggest something now as, as well. Um, if it comes back as, as mycoplasma positive, uh, the best treatment and the easiest treatment, uh, and overall probably the most economical is Denigard. Just plop the Denigard in the water. We have it on the website for sale. It comes with all the directions you need for mixing it up and using it, uh, length of time and everything else. Uh, and it's very, very effective against mycoplasma. Um, it's a pig product here in the U.S., not approved for chickens at all here. Uh, it is approved in Europe. Uh, and has been used there for many years, has a long storied history, good history uh, in mycoplasmic control uh, in Europe, and it has no egg withdrawal time there. And I have to assume that after it being used over there for better than 30 years, uh, that that's a good uh, uh, standing uh, rule as far as no egg withdrawal. Is con I wouldn't be concerned about, about that if, if, I, if they were mine. I can't tell you to do that, but if they were mine, I would not worry about it. Um, and it, uh, it is slowly building some resistance to mycoplasma. Uh, there's been some changes in the way the mycoplasma organism uh, uh, works. Um, and uh, you've heard me say on this show many, many times that every organism wants to live. I don't care what it is. Um, uh, some organisms certainly do live to die, but they still reproduce and come back. And mycoplasma is no different. Uh, it is a difficult organism to uh, rid yourself of uh, and becoming more so because um, from what I understand and uh, I'm still in the process of getting more and more information on this aspect of it, uh, it has now uh, made itself so that it, it can uh, encapsulate itself in a biofilm. And I am trying to find out if that is exactly uh, true for the mycoplasma with chickens, or is it so much more true for the mycoplasma uh, that is uh, present in cattle? There is a difference between the two. Okay? There's no cross-contamination with the two, but they both are mycoplasma. And um, the, in years past, the research has always shown uh, that the mycoplasma uh, galliseptum that we have in chickens has no cell wall, therefore uh, it is vulnerable outside of the bird's body for several reasons. Uh, one being it doesn't have the cell wall, so it doesn't have the protection. Uh, number two, uh, it is what we call host dependent. It relies on the chicken for its survival. It gets its nourishment from the chicken. So without the chicken, it can't survive. Okay, But I'm being told here uh, in the last uh, six months uh, or so that there is a biofilm uh, with this, and uh, this is going to cloud the issue some until we do get a handle on it. Because what it does is it denies access of the antibiotics to the core organism, meaning the mycoplasma itself. And uh, to my knowledge, prior to this, uh, there were only two uh, organisms that did that, and, and one was uh, Pseudomonas and the other one was Klebsiella. We did a, a deal on Klebsiella about two years ago. And uh, these uh, Klebsiella is responsible in humans for Klebsiella pneumonia. And, and in chickens, uh, it is a, uh, a problem as, as well. And they have a, a very thick mucousy biofilm on them, which makes it difficult for the uh, uh, 
medication to penetrate and eliminate them, so they become much more difficult uh, to uh, to do. I am working with a client who has a patent on a um, uh, product uh, to be used in the medical field, possibly for uh, eliminating the biofilm, and we have to see where that uh, horse rides uh, in the future here, but uh, uh, we'll just have to see. But um, that's the that's the way I would do it with this long drawn out. Give you a little bit more information than they might want, but uh, I would go with the Denigard, um, and I would r- certainly run that Denigard uh, ten days once a month, and I think he'll control the mycoplasma. I would also uh, consider um, if you're mycoplasma positive, the best way to control it besides the medication would be to vaccinate. And I would use the killed vaccine. We just discussed this at a seminar uh, at Cooptastic this past weekend in, in uh, Delaware. Dr. Batista uh, was giving a seminar there uh, concerning mycoplasma, and it's one of the things he talked about was the uh, vaccination program because it's better than nothing. It controls uh, the symptoms of the disease, will not prevent infection, will not prevent 100% the bird from shedding, but it sure does slow everything down. Does You don't have a bunch of sick birds walking around. Uh, and, and that kind of thing. So a combination of the, of the uh, mycoplasma vaccine. Um, right now I think we sell it on the website for about the cheapest you'll find around, um, but ours comes with all kinds of directions over and above what comes on the bottle to, uh, to give you a, a, a leg up on how to get this done. It's two-shot vaccination. You can use it over and over and over till you're done with it or till the bottle expires. Uh, and... Uh, uh, very effective, always has been, but people always say, well, I've got it anyway, so what's the difference? The difference is controlling it and not having a bunch of sick birds walking around all the time, uh, especially if you're relying on them for egg production um, and, and that kind of thing. So um, that's the way I would I would go about controlling that. And I would do that if those birds were mine. I very rarely ever tell anybody to do something I wouldn't do myself. And if I had birds who were mycoplasma positive, that's exactly what I would do. Good, thank you. Perfect. Um, here's one that we've talked, I don't know if we've had this question before, but Janet wants to know. Uh, Janet says, I gave my chicken soul met for an illness. I have since read that you can never eat our cell eggs from these chickens again. Is this true? Thank you for your response. Uh, no, it's not true. That's, that's absurd. Um, the and we've discussed this before, um, mm-hmm. the, the, the truth be known, and most, most veterinarians don't even know about it, but you, you have to go through a process of hiring a veterinarian to administer the drug. First he's got to diagnose it, then he's got to choose the drug, and then he'll choose a withdrawal time uh, based on similar types of, of products. Um, you know, it, it is a can of worms, um, and he, here's the kicker. If you don't use the product, the way that the bottle tells you to do it, then that throws the withdrawal time situation out of out of whack. Um, the, the, in this country here, it is it has always been one of those things where the government doesn't want birds or eggs going into the marketplace carrying drug residues that they feel at at high levels might be detrimental to to people. And it makes sense, okay? If you were, for instance. Uh, you were sensitive to penicillin. You had a penicillin uh, uh, allergy, and you somebody gave their birds some penicillin and then turned around and sold the eggs to you and didn't withhold uh, 
uh, and there was enough of the penicillin residue left in those eggs, could certainly cause you a problem. Could possibly even cost you your life. So there, there is some rhyme and reason to it. <clears throat> um, there are egg withdrawal times for things in other countries. They just do it differently than we do. Um, there was a uh, uh, a paper. There have been papers published and uh, on the withdrawal times, but they they are going to go by what's on the uh, label as far as the suggested dosage would be concerned. And the problem with that is that most of the stuff that's on the label doesn't work, so we've always gone with higher doses. So it depends on where you are on the dose. I would, I would say uh, if the birds were mine uh, and I was giving the, the solvent, I would think uh, that there would not be any appreciable amount left in the bird's system. You have to look at it this way. The more prolific layer a bird is, meaning the, if a bird is an everyday layer pretty much, she's going to clean that uh, residue out of her system after you stop giving it to her rather quickly. Okay? Because if you do a, a, a post-mortem on a bird that was in production uh, at, a, a, at any rate, whether it's a high rate of lay or, or a lower rate of lay, you would see every uh, follicle or ovum, uh, that is being uh, either prepared for, for ovulation or all the way back down to the ones that are microscopic. So you've got the one that you would lay tomorrow, which is a full-formed uh, ovum, all the way down to these little, little tiny pimple things that, that are there. I dare say there would be enough um, uh, uh or any other drug for the most part in those little pimple things uh, down in down in the... Uh, in the um, what we call the ovary tree, at least I call it. That's what I was taught when I went to college. But um, it's just a big blob of yellow fat is what it looks like. Anybody that's done a postmortem will know what, will know what I'm talking about. And um, uh, so the, the the more prolific the bird is laying eggs, the quicker that's all going to be cleaned out. So you could shorten up a, a, a possibly a laying uh, a, a egg withdrawal time. The problem is nobody knows within a flock. If you had a bird, uh, 100 birds in your flock, they all lay at different rates. Very rarely do you get 100 birds that all lay an egg every day and then skip a day after five or six days and come back and start laying again. They're all over the place. You know, the, the majority of them may lay every day, but there's that percentage. So who do you know's eggs? What came from who? That's that's the issue. So, um, but if they were mine, I would I would say after four weeks, I would be uh, I wouldn't have any problem eating the eggs. Good deal. Yes. That's, uh, we talk about that quite frequently, like mm-hmm. uh, when we talk about meds, there's an article in Chicken Whisperer Magazine, I think in the fall issue, uh, about the egg withdrawal period and kind of what it means and, and how we deal with that in the U.S. and you know, off-label use uh, needs to have veterinary oversight. Uh, they would, that vet would recommend according, and again, it's, it's kind of estimate or guesstimate based on the meds and his knowledge of that, even though there's not enough official, quote-unquote, egg withdrawal period, that vet is kind of taking the, the rap for that by giving you that egg withdrawal period based on all of his research with that, that med. So, um, and we all know, we talk about it all the time, how many times all these meds are given off, off-label use, regardless if it's federal law or not, it must be, you know, uh, if, uh, over have veterinary oversight. We know that it's going to happen. So, great answer. We, we appreciate that. Okay, here's one. We haven't had a bumblefoot question in a while. We have talked about it before, but Brenda wants to know, uh, what's the best way to treat bumblefoot at 
say two different stages, uh, mild, maybe just beginning, and then uh, a moderate size uh, uh, bumblefoot. Yeah, bumblefoot is uh, is another can of worms, uh, one that's extremely <laughs> difficult uh, to um, uh, you know to to repair once it starts. I think that. Um, wait, wait, wait. You, you you mean it's not as simple as just going to a YouTube video from a blog and getting a <laughs> and, and and just slicing that sucker open? It's not that easy. <laughs> no, not not quite as easy as a lot of people might think. For some, it might be easier, but. Uh, and I, I very rarely ever recommend to anybody that they, uh, that they, that they take the surgery route. I think you open up a can of worms unless you've really got the time to spend. Uh, and most of them that are in the, the you know, the, that have done those YouTube videos and stuff, they're just lucky they didn't do further damage. Um, uh, you know, by by just going around in there and digging around, you don't know what you know where the tendons are and, and so on and so forth. But uh, I'll leave that for somebody else to uh, to judge. But. Um, the the best way to do it is is to uh, once you discover it is to get on it right then and there. Don't leave it for another day. Um, uh, soaking the foot sometimes works uh, if there is a um, a black scab forming on the bottom of the foot. Uh, I I would I would soak it and and tr- try to remove that scab and see if you can uh, squeeze or cajole any kind of uh, fluid uh, or or anything out of there. Most of the time. Uh, and I say most of the time because nothing's ever 100%, but most of the time, by the time you realize that you really have bumblefoot, uh, it's almost too late, okay? Um, for instance, what you end up with is uh, it's, it may start out in the beginning with, with fluid pus and that kind of stuff, and then as those cells die off, uh, it becomes harder and harder and harder. And first thing you know, there really isn't any pus that you can get out it's all cellular debris and, and that kind of thing within within the uh, the tissue itself, dead tissue and whatever. And so the idea is to get on it real quick. The other thing is, if you decide to use medication, um, you know, that's another uh, tough situation because a lot of medications don't work out at that peripheral level. And what I mean is that um, a lot of medications were designed either for for gut or gut respiratory, or respiratory alone, meaning that they only work good in the gut, or they work fairly well in the gut and, and the respiratory system, or they work real well in the respiratory system, don't work in the gut or anywhere else, or, or don't do much out, out at the uh, outer edges. And I've used this analogy before, trying to take a 400-foot tall tree uh, and water it with a gallon of water. Not a whole lot going to get to the top, okay, and, and, and that kind of thing. Same thing here. And so the choice of, of the right medication, uh, in many cases, uh, you know, can, can help these things out, especially if you get on it real quick. So uh, I'll throw out some, some medications. Uh, sometimes uh, the injectable penicillin will work if you catch it early. Uh, the downside of that is you've got to give it once or twice a day, and you've got to give it long term. Uh, then your bird ends up becoming a pincushion. So I usually don't recommend the injectables uh, for that purpose. Uh, you could use the tablets and give that a shot. Uh, the other one is amoxicillin. Uh, the one that works the best from, from my standpoint that has had the most success over the years uh, is cephalexin, okay? And some people might notice Keflex. Um, it's a different type of a penicillin, uh, different from the um, uh, amoxicillin. 
which is another type of penicillin. Basically, it's a cephalosporin, a little bit different um, mode of action and stuff. But it, it is really a, a good product, has worked extremely well. Uh, it's used in dogs and cats all the time for uh, skin problems, okay, skin infections. So that will tell you it works out at those outer edges where you need to be, and that's what you need with Bumblefoot. But either way, whether it's a, uh, a beginning case or a mild case, uh, is to jump on it right away. Um, whether or not you need medication, uh, I, I would opt for it right off the bat, I think, to keep it from getting uh, out of control because left uh, unchecked and letting it get out there that the bird starts walking on a small uh, golf ball-sized foot, uh, the, the bacterial infection then starts to work its way into the bones and then getting rid of it at that point becomes extremely difficult, if not impossible. Great information there. I know Bumblefoot is a controversial topic uh, a lot of times, and you, you see it posted, and a lot of times it just says, watch this YouTube video and get a knife and uh, go go at it. <laughs> so, yeah, easily um, easily prevented, too. A couple things I'll throw out there. Um, sure, sure. You know, we all know that sharp roosts do it. <clears throat> the pens where, where birds are uh, cutting themselves on a piece of metal, a piece of wire, a piece of glass, sharp rocks, um, uh, those kinds of things. Um, but one of the other things that, that uh, isn't talked about much, because most people don't realize it, uh, bumblefoot can start out as what we call foot pad dermatitis, and this would be a breakdown of the foot pad skin uh, due to standing around in, in, in uh, wet bedding. Okay? So don't think you can't, you know, you don't, don't take an inventory in your brain and say, well, I don't have sharp roofs and my runs are clean and there's no wire, there's no glass, there's no sharp objects and everything else, and you've done the check there, but you're using a deep litter system. And if the birds are cooped up like a, in a lot of areas this year because of the cold, birds just, you know, don't want to go outside or you didn't want to let them go outside or whatever the case may be, um, that can be detrimental to the birds, okay? Um, sometimes if you're using that built-up litter, you might want to look at a product called Chick Flick, um, Dr. McRae is uh, very high on the product. She's done a tremendous amount of uh, research work with this product. We carry it on the website. Uh, Walt up in Connecticut likes it for his pens and stuff. He uses it. Um, there's just a whole lot of things you can do, uh, you know, to mitigate these things because you don't want bumblefoot, I'm telling you. It, it is a royal pain in the backside, and, and it will come back to bite you big time. Yeah, just about every time I talk to her on the phone, <laughs> she's talking about that product. So Yeah, it is a good product. A, yeah. It must be a good one. Okay, we've got one here. Very interesting. I have a great healthy flock. I just got rid of one for egg eating, and now I have, guess what, another egg eater, but I can't find out which one it is. Do you have any advice? Please help. Yeah, egg eating is is a, uh, a another can of worms because it can can be caused <laughs> by a, a, a number of of different things. Um, it can be caused by uh, an amino acid deficiency, a vitamin deficiency, a calcium deficiency. Um, so I would look at some of those issues. Uh, I would also look to make sure, and this is critical from my my perspective because I deal with this all the time in these particular situations. This nonsense, and I call it that, and I don't care if people like me or don't like me for calling it that, this nonsense that you have to make scrambled eggs and oatmeal for your chickens in the morning, 
which is not going to be as nutritious for them, no matter what you think or say, no matter who you talk to, okay, as is the feed that is complete and designed for them to eat that has all of the nutrients in it that they need. And I, I don't know why it's so hard for people to understand that. I mean, uh, uh, you know, I, I get it. You know, you want, to, you want them to be comfortable and this and that and the other thing. But you really, just because you gave them something hot doesn't mean that's going to take the heat off them, you know, the cold off them for the rest of the day. It just isn't. What's going to take the cold off them for the rest of the day is eating the proper nutrition to produce the proper body heat, okay, and not have a bunch of, uh, of junky carbs in their system without having all the proteins and amino acids uh, and so on. So I would look at, you know, eliminating treats if you're doing it, uh, throw your scratch away, let the wild birds eat it, um, and get back to the basics of, of good nutrition for your birds. Uh, put some vitamins, electrolytes in the water while this is going on. And it's going to be tough to, to uh, not only find the other one, maybe you'll be lucky enough to get some, uh, look them all over and find some yolk on the beak or on the feathers or on the feet or something like that. But usually once it starts, it's tough to stop because if they take it a liking to the, the taste of the egg, uh, they will eat every one they can find. So um, yes. I, I would let look me, at doing that. You know, and we have all of that is, stuff uh, online, the A-Lite, the Replamin, the Vitapro, all that stuff if you ever need it. We've got it. It's part of our medication kit, and it's part of the reason we put it in there uh, so that it can uh, uh, be available should you run into a, a deficiency of any kind. And uh, so... Uh, but it's, it can be a tough one. It can be a tough one. And the calcium, the bird's got to, got to lay down every day over 50% of the calcium in its body. So if it's deficient in calcium, it's going to go after that eggshell. Trust me. And that, just so uh, folks know, it's uh, com. And also, I'm going to share this because you see this on every, just about every chicken blog, chicken forum, whatever. What you need to do is uh, blow out a real egg and put in some hot mustard or some spicy mustard or some halibut, you know, a hot pepper sauce in there and put it in there, and, and it's going to stop the problem. So there's a couple of problems with that. Okay, number one, um, it's a scientific fact that chickens do not, our peat chickens do not have uh, and cannot taste uh, any of the hot or spicy. So you could get the hottest habanero pepper sauce made on earth, put it in the egg, and they're not going not going to be able to feel the heat or taste the spice of that. Number two, okay, let's say you put something in the egg that you think that chicken is not going to like the taste of and, and deter it from eating future eggs. You think the chicken's not going to like it. Well, guess what? You fill it with something you think the chicken's not going to like. The chicken breaks the egg. It eats the egg. It eats the content. It likes it. And now you've just created more egg eating because the chicken likes what you thought they wouldn't like that you put into the egg. So <laughs> don't even waste your time. So uh, there you go. Uh, one of those <laughs> one of those things that uh, you always see, always hear, and uh, just want to share that with folks. Okay, we got another one here. Uh, as we, we've got about ten minutes left, let's see if we can get a couple, three more left uh, done here. Um, what happens to the chicks when the brooder box temperature, and we just talked about this in the last couple of weeks. We'll just touch on it. Not, we won't go into the, the depths we did just uh, maybe three weeks ago, two weeks ago. We had a whole entire show, Kirk, uh, about uh, brooder and, and the heat issue in 95, that type of thing. But uh, you got a kind of unique issue here. What happens to the chicks when the brooder box temperature falls below 95 
due to a power outage uh, during the chick's first week. Um, uh, let's see, is there a best practice to help them recover? So apparently, I don't know. I don't know how long the power's out. I don't know what the temperature got down to. I don't even have a number of chicks, whether it was three or thirty. That yeah. could be a big difference. But um, what happens to the chicks when uh, the brooder heater fails, uh, and uh, is there a yeah. way to get help them recover? Well, what happens basically is that um, it creates a stress on the birds, uh, just like it would on, on humans when you're out and about and you get really cold and you're out and let's say you get stuck in the snow in your car and ran the car out of gas and stuff and you're sitting there and it's freezing temperatures outside and you've just got a jacket and your shoes and and uh, as your body temperature starts to, to drop, uh, you know, your automatic uh, defense systems start going into play and make you more susceptible to other things because you're trying to stay alive. And chickens are no different. Um, they uh, get into a stress situation. Usually you, you start seeing gut issues. Um, that's usually the first thing that you'll see. And uh, uh, they produce a corticosteroid, and it, and it really impairs the ability of the immune system func to function properly when they're under these kinds of stresses. So you could see... Um, you know, you could see pasty butt, you could see mortality, because uh, don't forget we said uh, early on that, you know, these birds uh, do not have the ability to control their body temperature. That's why, you know, we brewed them in the first place. And, um, you know, it depends on how long they were uh, they were without power. Um, you know, if it was a real long period of time, which is a couple of hours, it might not make a whole lot of difference. So, not knowing all the little details uh, and, and so on, um, probably what I would have done was tried to, once the power went out, I would have tried to put something over top of that brewer to, to, uh, to keep the heat in. Um, and it might be to, to people's advantage to uh, get these little, uh, I don't think they're very expensive, these little heat packs and keep them on hand just in an emergency. You always have to be prepared for an emergency. I mean, uh, um, you know, I, I came home from Cooptastic on Saturday night. As I was coming down the street, I could see there was no power. So this is great. Okay, come, you know, come home from this thing. I've been away at all day, half frozen to death myself, and then get here and there's, there's no power. That was caused by a bird's nest in, in one of the power station transformers. Shut everything down. Eleven thousand people without power because of a bird. But um, at any rate, you know, you have to be prepared for that. And you know. Um, I got home, it was pitch dark, I needed a flashlight, had one handy, and so it's just kind of being prepared, and a lot of us don't think along those lines, because it, if it hasn't happened to you before, uh, you're not thinking that way, but uh, you always have to be prepared when you're incubating or, or you're, you're brooding uh, birds, but uh, I would have made sure that they had uh, food and water uh, with uh, a probiotic in the in the water or on top of the food, however way you wanted to do it. Um, and again, they need body heat. So the more they eat, the more body heat they're going to produce. So during this this uh, power outage, you, know, you can help by making sure that they have that plenty of food, plenty of water, um, and and that kind of thing. And and uh, don't go with hot water because uh, you know they, as we discussed, they're not going to drink it once it starts to approach their body temperature. So. Leave the water alone. Put some vitamins, electrolytes in the water, um, and certainly you want to populate that gut because we did say that when birds are first born, you know the whole gut is not completely developed. The cecal tonsils are not going to develop for almost another five, six weeks or more, 
And so there's a lot of transition going on, uh, you know, in these birds uh, when this happens. Uh, there's always the possibility uh, that you could damage uh, some of their uh, mitochondrial DNA, and that's different from the uh, from the nucleus uh, DNA. In other words, uh, um, you're not going to change the um, overall being of the bird uh, from from the uh, damage to the DNA, but you're going to you could change some of the characteristics of it. Uh, we know that we can do this with, with two or three different things. We can do it with circadian incubation by changing the temperature up or down, making birds more or less susceptible to, uh, to hot or cold. And we know that we can do aromatherapy for birds during incubation who will then pick up on the aroma and go to that particular food when, when they're born. So we can change things around a little bit, and hot and cold during, uh, during the uh, brooding process could also do that as well. Might have been longer than you wanted to say, but I thought it was all worth no, it. No, I'm looking at the clock four minutes, and I think there'll be enough time to answer this one uh, because it's probably uh, just uh, uh, from you kind of giving him what what best choice medication for this and uh, how much and for how long. Lane has a buff cochin rooster that is three years old and sneezes literally about every ten seconds and has a hard time breathing and he's wheezing. Uh, wanting to know what I can do for that. Three years old, sneezes, seems like every 10 seconds, hard time breathing and wheezing. Okay, so first thing you're going to do is you're going to open up the mouth and you're going to look down the back of the throat, under the tongue, and top of the tongue, in the corners of the mouth, everywhere you can, and you're going to look for anything that's growing there that doesn't belong there. And if you're not sure what the inside of a healthy mouth looks like, find a bird that you've got that isn't wheezing and panting and, and, and sneezing and stuff. And... Um, what we would be looking for right up front is the possibility of, of canker. It's a yellowish little button attached to the mucosal tissue of the mouth uh, or the tongue or down the back of the throat. You look in the nasal cleft, which is a split in the roof of the mouth. Is there any gunk growing there, any canker growing in there? Uh, look at the nostrils. Are the nostrils clear? Look at the eyes. Are the eyes clear? When all said and done, if this is, you know, everything looks good, uh, I would treat this as a respiratory issue, just like I said to the uh, earlier question, and I would get some of uh, the concentrated Oxytet, quarter of a teaspoon inside of a small piece of uh, fresh white bread, roll it up marble-sized, shove it back down the throat. I would do that twice a day and uh, put two teaspoons of the Oxytet concentrate in a gallon of water, give them that as a sole drinking water, and see if it doesn't get better. And if it doesn't, give me a holler, and we'll see what else we can do. And we're not doing anything else with any of the other birds? No. Uh, I'm not a big fan of treating a whole flock when only one bird is showing some symptoms because this, this may turn out to be something that's not bacterial. It could be something else. Mm-hmm. But, you you know, the symptoms aren't showing anything in particular. So you didn't say they had, you know, you know I didn't hear you say anyway the bird had a snotty nose or, or runny yeah. eyes or anything like that, swollen face. So, um you know, it, it could it could be the beginnings of something uh, that's bacterial. I don't think it's viral because viruses generally spread pretty quickly. Not that bacteria can't, but most viruses will outspread bacteria very quickly. Awesome. Hey, thanks so much, and uh, we appreciate you joining us today, uh, Peter Brown, at First State, that's the fly.com, and uh, thank you very much for um, agreeing to come on tomorrow as well because we had an overwhelming response to questions when uh, everybody knew that you were going to be here. So um, we look forward to seeing you tomorrow right here at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We'll see you then. Thank you so much. Yep, we'll see you. Great. Thank you. Again, that's Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, founder of First State 
VetSupply.com. Stay with us, folks. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfginc.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com. Or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. you provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter? In most cases, it's not necessary. But if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source, and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, non-breakable, energy-efficient, long-lasting, and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business, providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for the beginner or advanced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it comes time to order. Shop online at www.strombergschickens.com or call today at 1-800-720-1134. Remember, that's strombergschickens.com. Established in 1957, GQF has become the name to trust when it comes to quality products and superior customer service. GQF offers a wide range of poultry products, including incubators, brooders, feeders, waters, and much, much more. Give them a call at 912-236-0651 or visit them online at gqfradio.com. That's gqfradio.com. Thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Calm Box Feeds. Hey, I want to let you know on my way up to that uh, big event, I met with the organizer of the Cincy Preparedness Expo. A uh, great gentleman, met with him and his uh, associate, and that's going to be really, they're really raising the bar on these uh, prepper expos. Uh, in fact, uh, they've they've booked me for a whole series uh, because they do see the value, of course, in backyard chicken keeping. Uh, for preppers, regardless of what they happen to be prepping for, 
Um, and so I will be doing some workshops at these uh, preparedness expos. The first one's going to be in Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, on the 30th and 31st of May. Uh, and then we're looking at one in October in St. Louis. And he was just in Atlanta looking at two venues, looking to have a, uh, the Prepper Expo there in Atlanta. And then, of course, there's going to be one, I believe, he quoted in Nashville. So uh, I will be booked for all of those, uh, educating the, the masses. Again, spreading the chicken love, regardless if you're a soccer mom or a prepper. It doesn't matter. Everybody loves chicken, right? And uh, so I'm looking forward to that. So I'll be sharing some information about that on the website. Uh, we were working on that last night, getting our tour uh, 2015 uh, events page uh, updated. So we look, always like to be on the road meeting all of you folks. Uh, you the show, read the magazine, read the book, and I come out to our workshops. So uh, we love all you guys. Um, we will be back on the air tomorrow. Again, thanks to Peter Brown agreeing to come back tomorrow. We had such a good response to the questions. Uh, tomorrow we'll try to answer a little bit more and extend the show a little bit. He had to get out of here at 3. He had some unfortunate circumstances where he had a friend um, uh, was um, involved in an accident last night with a fatality and his friends in the, in, in, uh, the hospital. So he was up uh, a lot of the night uh, talking with uh, them and what was going on with that. So uh, we went to 3 tomorrow. We may try to stretch it to 3.30 to get a little bit more uh, questions answered for uh, for everybody. So uh, and then, of course, don't forget this Wednesday we have a show. We've got, again, Purple Lotus Oils coming on, talking about uh, more essential oils. And since uh, she's uh, found out that we're going to be doing uh, prepper, uh, some prepper events and expos, throughout, kind of a, um, a line of show with essential oils regarding what essentials uh, oils you may want to keep on hand and why uh, for, uh, for prepping and for whatever the case may be, whether it be tornado or flood or fire or... Um, man-made disaster, uh, natural disaster, whatever the case may be. So um, I was thinking when Peter was talking about coming home and the power being out, being prepared and things like that, and um, it's interesting how I'm molding our vehicle. You know, we, we travel as a family, me, two-year-old, three-year-old, and my wife, and uh, we hook up to the RV and away we go. We're on the road sometimes, or easily weeks at a time, sometimes months for a, at a time, and uh, trying to mold the, the uh, vehicle we did upgrade our vehicle to a uh, F-250 three-quarter ton long bed four-door and uh, about the things that I feel like we may need on, on the road um, from air compressors to um, uh, battery chargers to what type of tools to winch to um, all kinds of different things, uh, water preparation. just interesting uh, for when we're on the road even, um, you know, for anything that, that could happen while we're on the road. I have a family to look after, too, even though I'm spreading the chicken love. So uh, preparedness is uh, important to us, whether it be here at the homestead, uh, whether it means planting another fruit tree or buying some more uh, uh, 30-year freeze-dried or dehydrated food for, for something should happen to the supply lines, to, to whatever the case may be. And even if it's on the, on the road doing book signings, uh, what do I need if we're out in the middle of nowhere and we're stranded or something should happen to the truck? Or what, what do I need uh, to be a little bit more prepared from a simple flashlight to an air compressor to a winch? You know, if that, uh, if that uh, the money you have in that winch, when you look at uh, the cost of um, uh, getting towed out somewhere, that can pay for itself in, in one or two times. So it's, it's pretty interesting. Uh, preparedness is to, to me, 
um, just another insurance uh, policy. So, uh, and, and it's nothing that you have to do financially every month. You can add to it as you need to, as you can to, but we look at it as an insurance policy. And, and as long as we've been traveling six years, there's still things we feel every day that, oh, you know, it would be nice to have that just in case in the uh, in the uh, toolbox of, of the truck, uh, just in case when we're in the middle of absolutely nowhere, going from event to event. So one of those things. Hey, if you haven't already, subscribed to Chicken Whisperer Magazine, you can do so, www.chickenwhisperermagazine.com. You can subscribe to the digital edition, totally free, 100%, will never be charged, right to your iPad, your iPhone, uh, your laptop, your desktop. It's emailed four times a year, the four seasons, winter, spring, summer, and fall. You'll get an, uh, an issue right to your laptop. You can read it on your laptop, just as if you're turning the magazines, uh, pages of a real print magazine. If you want print, that's fine. We'd love for you to have the print edition. It's a beautiful magazine, um, and it's $9.95 per year, and it'll be mailed directly to your mailbox. And um, if you like to sit in that easy chair and turn magazine pages, I get it. You know, I like to read a good magazine on the front porch every now and then. So um, we can do that for you as well. Same, same address, www.chickenwhisperer.com magazine.com so and hey just go to chickenwhisperer.com and you can find all of that look for the book look for the magazine follow us on Facebook fan us on Twitter all that great stuff thank you very much for tuning in today uh, there's tons of you and we do appreciate it all the homeschoolers that incorporate the show into your daily homeschool curriculum thank you very much the over the road truck drivers we hear hey I see you out there on the road let me tell you I'm right there with you guys make sure that freight gets there safely keep the rubber on the road thank you for tuning in Everybody that listens live, thank you very much. The chat room, thank you for being in the chat room, keeping each other company. And, of course, the thousands that you listen to the archive, when you can, thank you very much. We do appreciate you. And I look forward to seeing a lot of you when I go on tour here the week after Easter. Be on the road for six to eight weeks. Looking forward to seeing you there. Spreading the chicken love from coast to coast. So uh, thank you very much for tuning in. Don't forget, tomorrow, another great episode of Ask the Chicken Doctor. Uh, with Peter Brown, and then uh, Wednesday we're going to have another great show with uh, Tracy Kennebec with Purple Lotus Oils, all about uh, essential oils. So uh, we'll see you some more this week. God bless everybody.